welcome to the New Life Vermont podcast. The New Life Vermont podcast is dedicated to leading the way in faith-filled living through conversations about life's tough questions. To find every conversation when they are released, subscribe to our Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube channel. So go ahead and open up to Luke chapter 1. It's where we're going to be this morning. Luke chapter 1. And we're going to be going through the first 25 verses. And so I won't read every single one of those to get us started, but we're going to kind of look through most of these verses here. Since we're not going through the whole book, I'm not going to do a super in-depth background of the book of Luke, but I wanted to give us a few uh, ideas of where we are with the book of Luke so we understand kind of the direction that Luke is writing and what is kind of going on with his, uh, with who he's writing to and things of that nature. And so to start off, we'll read Luke chapter 1. I will start in verse 1, we'll read through verse 4, and then we'll pray, and then we'll get into the uh, message. It says, Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. And so let's pray, and then we're going to talk about praying with faith. We're going to talk about praying with faith. Dearly Father, thank you, Lord, for today. Thank you for this time you've uh, given us. Again, we thank you for your word. And Lord, how we can look to it, how we can uh, understand uh, your word because of the Holy Spirit guiding us. And Father, I pray that you would help us today as we look to uh, the beginning portions of the book of Luke and how it starts off with the coming of John the Baptist. And it starts off in this first verse with the the announcement about the uh, Savior, uh, Jesus' birth coming as well. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to learn something. Uh, Yes, it can be a good, feel-good story, a cuddly time when we think about babies being born and and all of that. But Lord, I pray that you'd help us spiritually to see something here today that we could not just feel good about the season, but that we could actually use in our lives. And that we could, whether it's challenge us, it may just be encouraging us to continue what something that we already are doing, or maybe to just adjust it a little bit. and maybe just have a little bit more faith in it. I don't know what it may be, but Father, we can always uh, find something uh, that we can encourage our spiritual lives uh, with, and Lord, that you would get the honor and glory through it all. And we thank you for what you're going to do. pray that you would be with those who, Lord, are, maybe are searching this Christmas season, that we would be able to uh, be a light to them, that we could uh, share with them the, the good news about what you did. Uh, Maybe, Lord, that they would come to the Christmas Eve service and that they would even want to know more about how they can have a relationship with you because of it. And Father, we pray that you would just use us. As we're going to see here, uh, you use human people to do your will here on earth. You could have 
used the rocks to speak. You could have used the trees to speak. Uh, but Father, you chose to use us. And uh, Lord, I thank you for that, that we have that opportunity and that uh, we have the power through uh, the Holy Spirit, given us that power and that strength to be used to uh, help draw others to you. Father, I pray that you would uh, just continue to, uh, to use us in that manner. We thank you for what you've done, what you're going to do. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And so here we see that the man by the name of Luke is writing this uh, account of Jesus' life. And so he, the, the man Luke was not an eyewitness of Jesus. And so he didn't walk with Jesus. He didn't see all of the uh, things and the miracles that Jesus did with his own eyes. But he heard accounts of what Jesus did. So Luke lived and was a part of this, if you could say, movement uh, during the time that the Apostle Paul was. Uh, so he uh, walked and journeyed with Paul in most of his journeys. Uh, we can see later on in a lot of the other epistles, the letters that were written in the new, later parts of the New Testament, like uh, Philippians and some of these others that Paul wrote, especially some of those from prison. He mentions Luke in uh, these, uh, these letters. So like, just to give you some example here, uh, Colossians chapter 4, it was written to a church in Colossae, which was not far uh, from Ephesus, which is where the book of Ephesians comes from. And let me get my pages turned here. And it says in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 14, which is the end of the, uh, the book here, it says, Luke the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. And so this is the Apostle Paul writing this, and he's saying, Luke is with me, but he's also saying Luke is a physician. And so Luke was a doctor by trade. And so he uh, most likely traveled with Paul as somebody who could uh, help take care of him if he was sick or if somebody got hurt. Uh, that was probably more so his uh, capacity of being with Paul, that he was there as a doctor traveling with Paul. But he also wrote down some things uh, that Paul uh, was saying as well. And so he was not just a doctor to Paul. He was also someone who helped him in his ministry, but he was a doctor, which was very important at that time because uh, they didn't have all of the modern medicine that we think of today. You know, they had things that would help. They had uh, things that they probably tried and sometimes worked, sometimes didn't, uh, but they didn't always have the quick means to fly to a doctor either you know they couldn't just take an airplane and, and go to a hospital or if they were in the middle of the, the mountainous region or a helicopter couldn't just come down and pick them up uh, like they do sometimes today uh, they would have had to travel quite a distance to get to a, a major city uh, a place where there was a doctor and so we see that there then also in second timothy and chapter 4 and verse 11 he says this, he says, only Luke is with me. So at this point, Paul is writing to a man, Timothy, and he is saying, Luke is the only one with me at this point. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. And so he's asking uh, Timothy to bring Mark to him. He's saying this man is going to be useful, which is the one, John Mark, who wrote the book of the gospel of Mark. And he's saying at this point, Luke is the only one that was with Paul. And then the last one I was going to show you was Philemon. 
and there's only one chapter, uh, but verse 24. And, th- and Philemon was a man <coughs> who was part of the church in Colossae. There's Philemon and there's Onesimus. And he's writing uh, to this man, Philemon, who was uh, a wealthy man because he had uh, some means, it looks like, uh, through the, as we walk through this book. And so he's writing to this man. He says in verse 24, As do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow laborers. And so again, this man Luke that he's talking about here is the one who wrote the Gospel of Luke. And so Luke was a doctor. He was not an eyewitness, but he traveled with Paul extensively. And so the apostle Paul was an apostle because he saw the risen Jesus, but Luke was not because he did not. And so who is Luke writing this to? Well, Luke wrote two books, specifically himself. And that was this book, the Gospel of Luke, but then also the book of Acts, which is a grand history narrative of what happened after Jesus rose and ascended to heaven up until right before uh, the apostle Paul died. Uh, There's a history of what happened through the early church. And so halfway through, uh, about halfway through the book of Acts, we see it transition from a lot of the early uh, disciples to mostly focusing on the apostle Paul's uh, missionary journeys. And so there's three missionary journeys that Paul took throughout the, uh, the area to uh, help establish churches, see people saved, and to kind of start that, uh, what we would call missionary work uh, back in that time. And so Luke wrote this letter to a man by the name of Theophilus. And so we don't know a ton about this man, but it says here in uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 3, at the end of, of, excuse me, verse 3 of chapter 1, it seemed good to me also having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus. And then in the book of Acts, which is right after the book of John, again, we see that he mentions this man, Theophilus. And he says here in verse one of chapter one of the book of Acts, the former count I made. And so here in the beginning of this book of Acts, he's talking about the former count, which is the gospel of Luke. Okay, the former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen. And so Luke is writing to this man. There's not, like I said, there's not a whole lot said about him. In two of some of the times Theophilus is mentioned, He's mentioned in a very dignified way. He says, most excellent Theophilus or honorable Theophilus is kind of what he's saying. Uh, But then he also mentions, oh, Theophilus, which is kind of, again, giving a little bit more of a credit. So it appears through Luke's writing that this man may be somebody who is in leadership. And part of that reasoning is because I don't know that we can dogmatically say this. But it appears, and others, commentators, people who have uh, talked about uh, the book of Acts and the book of Luke, they tend to think that the book of Acts specifically is a, an account of Luke showing what has happened to the Apostle Paul. Because at the end of that uh, book, 
he's in prison and you don't know what happens. It's like a cliffhanger. It's like he's in prison. He may be uh, killed, but what happens? And history tells us that he got out of prison, but then he was put back in prison and then eventually he was uh, killed for his faith. And so many tend to believe that the book of Acts is kind of this account to Theophilus and some of these other uh, nobility uh, in Rome where Paul is killed to try and give an account of what happened to Paul and why he's here and how he's wrongly imprisoned and that he's imprisoned because of his faith, not because of some uh, thing that he did uh, that would have broken the law and things of that nature. And so it's very possible that that is what the book of Acts is talking about. But he's writing to this man, Theophilus, who is probably uh, some sort of nobility who is a ruler of some area that Luke is writing to, to help him understand why Jesus actually is who he says he is and why Paul is preaching Jesus in the way he is. And so that kind of gives us a little bit of understanding, but then let's walk through the, the other first uh, four verses here and kind of get a, a little bit more understanding before we get into uh, our main point today. And it says here in verse one, inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us. And so he's saying there's been many people who have written a narrative or the events that have taken place about what happened to Jesus and why he was here on earth. And so he's saying there has been many who have done this about what has been fulfilled. Verse two, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us. So those who saw Jesus and saw what he did, they passed down what had happened and what they saw. Uh, we can see eyewitness accounts like Matthew, who was with Jesus. He was one of the disciples who walked with Jesus for those three years. And so that was one of those eyewitness accounts. John uh, was one of those eyewitness accounts as well. And so there was others of those disciples who would have passed down, and not even just those who wrote it down like Matthew and John, but who had passed down what they saw and what had happened. And he's trying to put them all together to try and put this narrative together uh, to help Theophilus understand what had happened through the life of Jesus. He says in verse three, and it seemed good to me also. So he's saying, I'm not the only one, but it seemed good to me also having perfect understanding of all these things. This perfect understanding, it, it's not saying that he knew everything perfectly. It's not saying that he uh, was able to not have to figure some things out. It's that he was investigating this, uh, I don't want to say problem because it's not a problem, but whenever we think of investigating, we often think of it with a problem. But he was investigating the, uh, the evidence. That's what I was trying to say. The evidence of Jesus's life and how it led to what they were preaching. And so he's saying, I'm, I'm investigating this, uh, all the things from the very first, from the first thing up until what we can see now. I'm investigating it all. I'm, I'm wanting to write this down to write to you an orderly account. That's why he's investigating it. He wants it to be an account that is orderly enough, which is why I think we can also see that Luke, not just being a doctor, but also wanting to write an orderly account, why he is so detailed. And he is one of the most detailed gospels out of the four gospels that we have. That he has all these little details that not all the other gospels have, but it's partly because he's trying to write down the orderly details to make sure that they all are put into their proper place for this man, Theophilus, so he can see it. And then he says, most excellent Theophilus. <coughs> Excuse me. Verse 4. That you may know 
the certainty of these things in which you were instructed. And so, again, this man, Theophilus, was instructed in what happened in Jesus' life for some reason. Uh, one of the uh, reasons that we would say uh, that uh, maybe he was a ruler as well, that Paul is trying to uh, appeal to him to help him understand why he was put in prison uh, falsely. And he's saying, I wanted you to be able to see with certainty and to know the certainty of those things which you have already been told, you are already instructed. And so now he gets into from the first. You know, he said he was going to write a, an orderly account from the very beginning. And here he gets into the very beginning. So I want us to see first off that our sin is not always the cause of a lack of blessing. There are some people who think that sin is why bad things happen. And yet is why is always the reason for things happening in our life. And we say it that way. Sin does cause the curse and the things that we do. If we, The more we sin, the more we're going to have struggles in this life. I'm not saying that that's not true. It is. But there are those who like to classify everything like a, a baby who maybe it was born prematurely or something to, well, your parents must have sinned. They must have done something that has got God angry. And so he calls and allowed and had this baby die to kind of get your attention because of all your sin. Well, that's not necessarily the case. And we can see that in the life of Job. Job was afflicted and he had lots of troubles. His children died. He basically lost his house and all of his animals. His marriage was in turmoil uh, because his wife at one point said, why don't you even, why don't you just curse God and die? Uh, obviously all of this has happened because you've done something wrong, Job. And God, his account of Job is that he was a man who was upright. He was a man who was uh, striving to do all he could to live a life that was pleasing to God. And so, yet was he a sinner? Yes, Job was a sinner because we all are sinners. But did his sin cause uh, all of this uh, struggle in his life? No. The Bible is clear that God allowed Satan to do these things to him to, one, prove a point that Job would still trust God even through all of that turmoil. And so we see that not everything that happens in our life is directly caused because of something we did. Okay. And so I wanted to get that out there that not all of our problems in life or lack of blessings are because of our sin specifically. And so back in this day, if a woman was not able to have children, that would have been a blight in their life. That would have been something that they were uh, known for around the area because that was one of their jobs. I hate to say it that way, but that was one of the things that they did. They had children and they managed the house and they, you know, raised their children and all of those things. They didn't often have jobs like the men would out, you know, going fishing or whatever, uh, like uh, Joseph for uh, Mary's husband, who was a woodworker and was a carpenter. Uh, they didn't often have those types of jobs. Uh, those things. So they would often take care of the family. And so for someone like Elizabeth to be old and to not have children, uh, it would have probably have crossed her mind. What did we do that I can't have children? What did I do that God is not allowing me to have children? But I want us to see what God says through the book of Luke here uh, about these people. 
were they these terrible people that God was trying to judge and not allow them to have children? I don't. I think we could see the opposite. So verse 5, it says here, there was in the days of Herod, uh, and Herod is a title. There's like Herod Antipas and there's Herod, I'm trying to think of another one, but other names. So their name was not necessarily all Herod, but Herod was a, uh, a title and then they had a, another name. So this Herod, the king of Judea, there's multiple Herods. So this it was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea. A certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And so we see that Zacharias was part of the family of Aaron. Because I had said before that when we were in the beginning portions of the book of John, that those who are part of the family of Aaron are the only ones who could be priests. They could be the only ones who were doing the job of priest. And so the Levites, as it also talks about in John, they were the ones from Levi, descended from them. So we see here that uh, Zacharias is part of these priests. So he's from the family of Aaron, and so was uh, his wife Elizabeth. He, she came from that same uh, line that goes back to Aaron. His wife was the daughters of Aaron. His division was the division of Abijah. So we're not going to take the time today to go back to it. But in 1 Chronicles chapter 24 and verse 10, it talks about this. And there were 24 divisions within the priesthood. And so he was one of those divisions that were part of Abijah. The eighth division was Abijah's division. And so that's where Zacharias is coming from. It says here in verse 6, And they were both righteous. They both did that was which was right in the sight of God. It's again not saying they were sinless, not saying that they didn't have uh, times when they uh, didn't follow the Lord or didn't trust Him enough, as we're going to see here in just a little bit. But they were righteous overall before God, walking in all the commandments. They tried to live their lives in accordance to what God had said. They were living and walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. So this word blameless, again, it goes back to, again, even Job. He uses the same word. Obviously, he would they, would they used it in Hebrew, and here they're using it in Greek. But it's the same word talking about without handles. There is nothing that they could, that somebody could look at their life and say, this is an issue in their life. You know, it's not, again, not that they didn't have issues. Not that they didn't have problems, uh, but there was nothing in their lives that they could drag God's name down because of seeing how Zacharias and Elizabeth lived their life. <clears throat> and so it, they were living blamelessly. They were living in a way where others would look at their lives and say they are living their life in accordance with God's word as best as possible. He, so they were righteous. Before God, they uh, walked in all the commandments and the ordinances of the Lord blameless, but verse 7, but they had no children. So they were doing all that they could to live a life that was going to be uh, pleasing to God, and yet they had no children because Elizabeth was barren. And they were both well advanced in years at this point. And so not only was it that they couldn't have children, 
but it was because of Elizabeth. So again, that no doubt that would have been a, a spot on her to say, well, why am I barren? What did I do uh, to not be able to have children? But here we see that God is making it clear it wasn't something that they did. But I think we'll see here later on that it was so that God could get glory through this miracle that is going to happen in their life. So that God could get the praise because of what he's going to do by allowing her to have children, not only when she's barren, but also because she's well advanced in years. She's old, for lack of nicer way of saying it. <laughs> she is old. So verse 8. So it was that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense uh, when he went into the temple of the Lord. So lots, um, there's different ways of, of people thinking they did this back in the day, but it could have been a dice roll. It could have been uh, they had uh, sticks and, you know, one was shorter and the others were longer and they picked to see who was going to do what thing when, or they rolled dice to see who would get the uh, certain number or the higher number, or the lower number, however they did it at that point, uh, who would get the appointment in this particular area or have to do this job. And so his lot fell that he was supposed to burn the incense uh, in the temple at this point in time. And so he is uh, going to go into the temple and he's going to spend, as the Bible tells us here in a little bit, uh, a long time because he gets interrupted, uh, so to speak, by a special visitor. He says here in verse 10, and the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. And so uh, the people uh, were outside. They were praying at the temple during this hour of incense that was taking place. Verse 11. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. So before we get into the second thing that I want us to understand, I want us to remind ourselves that no matter what is happening in our lives, it's not necessarily always connected to us having sinned or done something specifically against the Lord that he is judging us for. That doesn't mean, though, that things aren't harder in our life because of our sin. That is true, and it is going to happen. But we need to remind ourselves that not everything is happening in our lives just because we've done something wrong against the Lord. Secondly, I want us to get I want us to understand that even when there seems to be no hope, we should keep praying. And it's kind of funny that we had talked about some of these things happening and this is what the Lord uh, has us to to go over today. But even when there seems to be no hope, keep praying. Let's let's think about this. They are Zacharias and Elizabeth is old. She's barren. It seems like there's no hope that she's going to have a child. It seems like they're not going to have their uh, their family uh, move on with the inheritance because they didn't have any children to pass their inheritance on to, which is what happened in this day. So it's not just that they didn't have a child, but those who were born uh, first would have gotten the inheritance and would have kind of passed on the name and the legacy of this family even more so than we think about it today uh, in our society, uh, that was something that was a big deal, especially to the Jewish people. It still is today. If you look at the Jewish people, they are big about their ancestry and how their how far their line goes back and where it goes back to and who they're an ancestor of. And so 
they uh, are big about that. And that was a big thing back in this day as well. And so, <clears throat> excuse me, verse 13. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. So we don't know how long he was praying. We don't know how often he prayed, other than the uh, ritual times that they would have prayed specifically uh, because of the uh, Jewish religion, the times that they were supposed to pray. Uh, but we see that his prayer was heard. And I wonder how many times Zacharias and Elizabeth felt, I wonder if our prayer is being heard. I wonder if God is hearing my prayer. I wonder if uh, I'm doing this and it's worth it. Is talking to the Lord about our situation and about what is a perceived problem, is it even worth it anymore? Look how old we are now. How in our circumstance is this ever going to happen? How in what's going on in our lives, not only was she barren, but now we're old. There's, there's, it seems like the circumstances are so insurmountable. We don't see a way that this could be possible. And yet they kept praying. They kept praying through all of this. And it says, the angel of the Lord said to him, one of the first things he said was, do not be afraid. Yes, but your prayer is heard. Reassuring Zacharias that his prayer indeed was being heard by God. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. What was that prayer? Well, I think we get indication of that in this phrase. Your wife Elizabeth will have a son and you shall call his name John. So what was he praying about? Well, he was praying about his wife having a baby. He was praying about his uh, ancestry being passed on, about his lineage continuing. He was praying that God would bless them with a child. Do not be afraid. Our prayers are heard. So whatever you're going through, remind yourself that your prayers are being heard. That doesn't mean we're always going to get the answer in our timing. Again, we don't know how long he was praying. We don't know how long he was asking the Lord for this. Probably for a while, probably for a long time, they were praying to God about having this baby. And he says, I heard your prayer, but not only am I hearing your prayer, but I'm answering your prayer. Now, can I also say that God answering our prayer is not always a yes. Or a yes in the way that we think it should happen. Sometimes his answer is not yet. Sometimes his answer is no. And we don't always like that. I know when Esther and I were praying about whether we should come up here, uh, you know, five years ago, and we visited for the uh, first time to kind of get confirmation, I was a little disappointed because I felt like God was saying to our prayer, not yet. He didn't say no, but it was one of those things where it's like, today and this year is not the time. And eventually... We got a yes. Eventually, uh, we, we felt like the Lord was saying, yes, now is the time to go up. But sometimes it's a not yet. Sometimes it's a no. Sometimes it's a yes. So we need to understand that he may not always answer our prayer. I think this is where a lot of people, especially those who are looking for a sign about whether God is listening or not, they can get disheartened because... If God doesn't give me a yes today, 
or answer my prayer now, then he must not hear me. He must not be listening. Uh, and there are times in our life where we can feel that way. Um, we're not immune from that. Even David in the Psalms, he talks about how sometimes he just didn't feel like God was listening or his ear was there. But then there's other times where he uh, reminded himself that, yes, God is listening and God does care about me. And so in those times where we feel like God may not be listening, go back to the scriptures and remind yourself of the times where God says, you know what, I am listening. I am there. I do hear you. Uh, it even talks about in the book of Revelation where God has uh, these vials that are filled up with the prayers of the saints. And so somewhere in heaven, there's these vials with all of our prayers that we've been praying to him. And he has them saved up in these vials. God cares about what you have to say, about what's on your heart, about what's going on. He also says, the Apostle Paul writes later on in the New Testament, pray without ceasing. That we are continually supposed to be talking to the Lord. That doesn't mean you always have your head bowed. And, you know, I uh, like to use the uh, the example of, you know, when you're driving, you can still pray. But you don't have to close your eyes. You don't have to bow your head, you know, because that's dangerous. Uh, but you can still talk to the Lord. It's like talking to your friend. You know, it's like talking to somebody on the phone. Uh, we, we don't have to hang up the phone. We can keep it there. Always... Uh, open that line of communication to where whenever we need to say something to God, we can talk to him. Now, sometimes there's maybe these more formal times where we bow our heads and we close our eyes and we uh, kind of try to, which is the main purpose of that is just to kind of get the distractions out of our mind so we can focus on praying to God because that's hard sometimes. And to do it in a spirit of prayer and a reverence to the Lord but no matter where we are, we can pray to God and know that he's hearing us and that our prayers will and can be answered by him. And one of these ways that we know that it'll happen is because we've seen him answer prayers before. And if you never have, well, this week you saw him answer a prayer, you know, and we're rejoicing in that. And in the future, you can go back and say, you know what, this doesn't seem like it's possible, whatever the issue is or whatever is going on doesn't seem possible but you know what we thought another one didn't seem possible and god answered and we can rejoice and remind ourselves that it's worth going to god in prayer because of it he says here your prayer has been heard and your wife elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name john verse 14 and you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth you know it's a great thing when someone's born but specifically this baby, they're going to rejoice. <coughs> I think for many reasons. One, because this was an impossible situation that God made possible. They're going to rejoice because of that. They're going to be glad at his birth because of that. But they're also going to be glad, I think, because of the purpose of what John's mission was. It was to be the forerunner before Jesus, to go before and prepare the hearts and the minds of the people to receive the Savior. And so we see here that they're going to be glad at his birth. Verse 15, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he's quoting the Old Testament here where he says this next part. It says, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. 
He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient, excuse me, to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people, excuse me, prepared for the Lord. So he's preparing the people for the Lord, for the Savior to come, for Jesus to come and to be their Savior. He's preparing the hearts of those people. Verse 18. And Zacharias said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. And so I want us to understand that our faith needs to coincide with God's character, not our circumstances. Our faith in God answering our prayer needs to coincide with God's character and who he is and what he says about himself, not in our circumstances. Because if I think my prayers will be contingent on the circumstances of this world, most times I'm not going to have faith in my prayers. But if I know God and I know that he hears me and I know that he wants to answer my request and I know that he wants good for me, then I know he will hear it. I know he will answer in a way that is good for me. Not that I will always get everything I want. That's not what I mean by good for me. But I mean that it will be good for me whether I think it's good for me or not. We need to have our faith in God's character, not our circumstances. Because our circumstances go up and they come down. Our faith and our circumstances go up and they come down. You know, because it's not something that is established and settled. God's character does not change. But this thing and the things in, the, in this world and this life, it changes. Sometimes we're high, sometimes we're low. Sometimes we're uh, full of faith and sometimes we're uh, maybe barely hanging on to our faith. But the way to counteract that is to have our faith in God's character, not our circumstances. He says here in uh, verse 19, well, verse 18, he says, but I'm an old man. He's trusting in his circumstances. I'm old. My, my wife is barren. How is this going to happen? Verse 18, and Zacharias said that he's old. Verse 19, and the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel. <coughs> Who stands in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you and bring these good or glad tidings. Verse 20. But behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place. Why? Because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. Because of his faith being in what was happening around him and his circumstances and his faith was not in the character and the words of God. God is uh, showing him how powerful he is, I guess you could say, or how much he needs to trust him by saying, you know what? Until this baby is born, you're not going to be able to speak. You're going to be mute. You're not going to be able to speak. You're, you're, you're not going to be able to uh, talk until these things happen. As a way to show Zacharias, remember... I can do anything, and these things will also be fulfilled in their own time. When God's appointed time to have these things fulfilled, that is when it's going to happen. Verse 21, And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he lingered so long in the temple. But when he came out, he could not speak to them. 
and they perceived that he had been that he had seen a vision in the temple for he beckoned to them and remained speechless so he was probably using his hand and his gestures he beckoned to them trying to help them understand some things you know almost like playing charades it seems like but yet he could not speak and so they didn't understand what was happening at this time they thought he had seen a vision from god that he was just so taken back by this thing that he saw and and i guess in some ways you could say he was you know, he saw this angel who was speaking to him, this angel Gabriel, who gave him this news. So he, in a sense, saw something that uh, most people did not see at this point in time. <clears throat> but it was something that God was making a point here to remind him. He, he, he had something in his life where Zacharias later on in his life, even though he's old, he, later on in his life, he could go back and say, you know what? I remember the time that God made me speechless when John was being born. And if God could do that, he could make he could have my wife have a baby. He could allow my wife to be not barren anymore. And he goes on to say here in verse uh, 23, So it was, as soon as the days of his service were completed, uh, the days of his uh, temple uh, priestly duties were completed, that he departed to his own house. So now he went home. Now after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And so she, it wasn't some magical thing that like God did with Mary. But Elizabeth, it seems to be that she didn't conceive this baby until Zacharias went home. And no doubt they were together like a husband and wife are. And she conceived this baby. And so God did a miracle, yes. But he uses us to influence this world as well. He uses us to allow things to come into uh, fruition. Like he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He wants to use us to give the good news. He wants to use us to tell others about Christ. He wants to use us uh, to show God's uh, love and hope and, and glory to this world. He could have used any uh, thing that he wants, but he uses people. And so I, I want us to understand that he used normal circumstances in this man's life and brought about a miracle that would not have happened without him allowing this to happen. But he still used the normal uh, everyday things of life to accomplish this task. It wasn't some zapping miracle before Zacharias even got home that he conceived. And so he went home to his house. His wife, after those days, conceived. And she hid herself five months, saying, Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked upon me to take away my reproach among people. So again, we can see how much of a stain this was on our life. She says, he took away my reproach. He took away the uh, dark stain of me not being able to have a baby upon my life. It may not always make sense. It may not always, we may not always understand how things are going to happen or what's going to happen. Or how God's going to bless. But we need to keep praying. We need to keep trusting in him. We need to keep going to God with the things that are on our heart so that way we can see God do a miracle in our life.
and not just others. You know, we can praise God for miracles in other people's lives, but it is a great thing when we can praise God for the miracles that he does in our lives. That we actually see because of our prayer. That we actually see happen because I went to God and I prayed and I asked him for something. And guess what? He heard me. He didn't just hear the preacher. He didn't just hear some other person that we think is super spiritual. But he heard my prayer request. Because he cares about you. He cares about your life. He cares about what's going on. And I don't know what God's plan is for every single one of us in this room in the future. But I do know that he wants to bless your life. And part of that is us going to him, talking to him, trusting in his character to answer our request, whether we think it's going to happen the way we want to, it to happen or not. He wants us to see his power working in our lives. Our prayers are not always answered immediately in order sometimes, I think, to increase our faith and to give God more glory. You know, if we always had our prayers answered just like that every single time, then how many times would we probably pray for to God for something one time and it doesn't happen and then we, we stop praying? But that's also where that praying without ceasing comes in. And he also talks about praying with uh, a, a spirit of not giving up. And he uses the illustration of somebody knocking on a friend's door, asking for food, asking for something. And he keeps knocking and he keeps knocking and he keeps knocking to, uh, to ask this friend, this neighbor for food. And eventually this neighbor comes down and he answers the door and eventually he gets some food. But he's saying, just like that friend kept knocking and kept knocking and kept asking, he didn't give up. That's how our prayers should be as well. Not giving up. You know, maybe it's praying for somebody to uh, get saved and start that relationship with Jesus. You know, we should never give up. We should never stop praying and asking God for that. Maybe it's God to provide our needs or to provide... Uh, uh, something like a daycare or whatever it may be, somewhere that uh, we could uh, see God bless our lives. We should never stop asking. Maybe it's for a cancer situation. And I don't know what God's plan is with Billy or some of these others that uh, have cancer. You know, there was a friend of mine, she, she's a Christian, and they prayed. He had, uh, I think it was pancreatic cancer, uh, but it was like kind of the end because they don't usually find that too early. And just recently, you know, she was praying that God would heal him. And so was I and my wife. And you know what? God did heal him, but not on this side of heaven. He, he passed on to go to be with God in heaven. And so I'm not saying that that's going to happen or not going to happen. But my point is we need to keep praying. And it may not always happen in the way that we think it should. But if we keep praying and keep asking God, he will answer our prayer request. He will answer it in one way or another. And it is, it is to increase our faith and so that we can give him more glory. So when things seem tough and things seem like the circumstances can never amount to God answering our request, know that he is hearing you and that he does care about you and he cares about what is on your heart and what is going on in your life personally. And that he does hear your requests and will answer them. 
Let's Thank you for joining us for this episode of the New Life Vermont podcast. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And you can help us out by liking, sharing, commenting, and subscribing uh, about every episode that you find helpful. Also, don't forget to check us out on our website at newlifecv.org. And if you have any questions that you would like to submit uh, for future episodes, you can submit those to our Facebook uh, direct message, or you can go to our email, which is newlifevapcv at gmail.com.